Good morning, everybody. <laughs> really good to be with all of you today. Uh, thank you, Cam. Thank you also, kids, for the really good answers. You've, uh, you're going to hear a lot of those things echoed as we read the scriptures this morning. Uh, and for you parents and for others too, uh, one of the things that, that a lot of research has pointed to is when you look at kids who are raised in the church and what makes their faith stick as they go into adulthood, uh, one of the biggest factors is family worship. So for us, uh, three weekends out of the month, we have uh, sort of age-specific Sunday school classes one weekend a month. Uh, we have the kids in here with us, and this too is a really important part of developing faith. Um, and an announcement for you too, if anyone missed this this week in the email or otherwise, uh, our dear sister Helen Miller passed away this week. Uh, many of you know Helen, she was a founding member of this church along with her husband Greg and uh, I didn't know them prior to us starting this church. I was introduced by some mutual friends and I kind of made this pitch to them and said, hey, listen, we're forming this church and it's going to be a lot of young adults, right? So I'm, I was 31 way back then and I, I think the average age of the church is about 27. And my pitch was, hey, we need, we need some people to come alongside and parent this church and really be mentors uh, to, uh, to this group of people. And Greg and Helen did exactly that. And they did it faithfully for the last 19 years. And uh, this past week, uh, Helen's time in hospice care came to an end and she graduated this life and went to be with the Lord. So uh, continue to pray, please, for Greg uh, for their family uh, as they are, are navigating uh, both the joy of knowing that her pain is over and she's with the Lord and, and the real difficulty of saying goodbye. So, uh, so, hey, last week we finished our series in the parables. Next week we're starting a, a series called American Idols where we're talking about some of those values, those cultural values we hold as Americans that are, we're most susceptible to turning into idols in our lives. Should be a fun and spicy one. Uh, this week, we're sort of in the in-between, and so I, I wanted to bring you an update I've been wanting to bring for a while. Seemed like a good space for it, but an update about the relationship with, with Torrance Police Department that uh, I and some other pastors have been building over the last couple of years and ask for your prayers. Uh, if you are not aware of this, uh, Torrance Police are embroiled in a, a very serious scandal. Uh, this past year, two officers were arrested, and they are awaiting trial for vandalizing a suspect's car. Uh, after making a stop and impounding a car, they came back later, spray-painted a swastika on the vehicle, some other graffiti, and uh, they, they have been arrested, and they are awaiting trial. In the investigation that came out of that, those two and 13 other officers they found were, uh, were on a shared text thread. Uh, that was full of racial slurs, threats of violence, um, really nasty stuff, which, which I won't detail, but it, there was actually a new piece on it in the LA Times this past week. If you want to look it up, it's, uh, it's all out there, and it is, it is uh, it's stomach churning. I mean, it is, it is really appalling stuff, jokes about lynching, shooting, um, all types of slurs towards uh, blacks, gays, anti-Semitic remarks. It is, uh, it's appalling. Now, 
you might remember in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, myself and some other pastors, we started meeting with uh, the chief of police and senior staff and developing a relationship there so that if, God forbid, something like that was to happen here, that we might already have some relational capital and be able to trade on that to see better justice and better peace as it's worked out in our city. So uh, today, what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna update the story, uh, kinda bring in these different pieces, and inside of that, to ask the question from a biblical standpoint, what is it that the police are supposed to do anyway? What is their responsibility to citizens? What is it that we are right to hold them accountable to? And how can we both support and hold them accountable within that role? And then also in that, what do I hope our response looks like as a church as well? So uh, along the way, I'll tell some more of the story of that relationship with Torrance PD and, uh, and how you can be praying. And I'm, I'm actually quite hopeful, as, as bad as the situation is right now, um, and I'll, I'll tell you why uh, that hope is there too. But uh, it goes without saying, folks, in a message like this, that this stuff is so sensitive and it is so very polarizing. Uh, for some, even to question the police draws anger, right? They're, they're seen and rightly in many ways as, as heroes. You know, we might be told to reflect on how difficult their job is and whatnot. And I, I have a lot of sympathy for that position. Um, you know, I, I was raised in a house where the police were held in very high regard. I've got family and close friends who are police and kind of have my whole life. Uh, I've personally only ever had positive interactions with the police. But I, I think we can say that even the strongest advocate for the police uh, could not deny that there are some cops who are awful, who are incompetent or wicked, and we have to deal with that. Uh, kind of regardless, that is, is the reality we have in front of us. Um, on the other side, for some, their experience is such that, uh, that even to give the police the benefit of the doubt draws anger. Uh, you know, the kind of the point of view that says we know what police are like, and consequently some police are almost kind of guilty until proven innocent, and uh, I understand this reaction, this point of view as well. Um, not exclusively for those who are people of color, but particularly for those who are people of color, especially my black and Latino friends. Uh, I have very few who have not had a negative encounter with the police, either personally or someone who's, who's in their immediate orbit. And so it's, it's not difficult to understand uh, the wariness towards the police. Uh, but within that, at the same time, I, I think even the strongest critics of the police would have to acknowledge that there are many, many officers who join the police force because they want to serve the public. And they do it well. And they do it at great personal risk. So uh, this, this is tough stuff, folks. This is very personal. And in this congregation, we have police, and we have police families, and we have folks who have been mistreated by the police, all in this room. Uh, the question came up this week, uh, as charged as this, this is, uh, why are we even going here? Why are we talking about it? Uh, the answer, friends, is this. We do our best uh, to bring the scriptures to bear on the questions of the day. Uh, if we fail to do that, then we are surrendering to the narratives of the right or the left to disciple us, and we don't want that. 
We want to be shaped by the words of Jesus. We want to be shaped by his spirit at work in us. We want to be formed by his love and his grace. And that is why we do these things. So let's pray and let's look at the scriptures together. Lord God, we do pray this morning as we come together to worship. We pray that you would allow us to do so with hearts that are humble, with minds that are curious, God, with hearts that are open. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. Would you make us the men and women and children that you would have us be? Cause us to conduct ourselves in ways that are honest, in ways that are truthful, in ways that reflect the fruit of your Spirit. And we pray, God, for our city and our community at large. God, that it might be a place uh, where justice and fairness is seen. Uh, where the kind of goodness in our rulers that our children have spoken here of this morning, that that would be our reality. God, lead us into that. We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done in the city of Torrance as it's done in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I want to take us into a few scriptures this morning to help us uh, get some handles on this. Uh, but on the way, um, a little bit on how I kind of got into this topic in the first place. Um, for me, uh, Samantha and I, we moved here to Torrance uh, 24 years ago, something like that. It's been a minute. Um, right after I graduated seminary, we'd been married like a year, we moved up here. And it was to take a position at, as a staff pastor in a church in a neighboring city. And we're asking, where should we live? And one of the folks on our search committee said, well, you want to live in Torrance, right? Everybody wants to live in Torrance. And I said, why? You know, what's so great about Torrance? And he answered with the same answer I've heard a hundred times since then. He said, our schools and our police. That's why you want to be here. It's one of the safest places to be. The schools are terrific. So, you know, shoot for Torrance. And so we did. Um, but I asked him in that, I said, well, what is it that makes Torrance PD so great? And he thought for a minute, and he said, well, he says, I don't exactly know. But somehow they, they kind of know who's here that lives here, and then who's here to cause trouble. And they're able to sort that out. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And I, I don't think I had enough context or enough life experience to really think too deeply into what that meant. But it stuck with me, and I kind of held on to that. And it would come, come back to me at times through the years as I would interact with friends, and especially as I, I made uh, different pastor friends in neighboring cities, pastors who were black, I, I found a lot of them didn't want to come and meet with me in Torrance. If we were going to get together, it was i go to them. And I was like, you know, why is that? And then some who are like, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah let's, let's have lunch. And I said, oh, I can't. Let's, let's have dinner. They'd be like, mm, no, not dinner. I don't come into Torrance after dark. It's like, what are you talking about? I was, was dumbfounded by that. Uh, but came to find out over time that there was a reputation with our police department, which is hugely loved by the residents of Torrance, but particularly among those who live outside the city, there is a reputation for racial profiling and sometimes harassment. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but 25 years ago, the Department of Justice opened an investigation into the Torrance Police Department. Uh, they had a number of new recruits approach them that said in their, in their training, with their training officers, that they were trying to stop all black motorists, 
Torrance is only about 3% black. I don't know if you know that. Uh, so that kind of factors into this. But they were taught, with or without cause, stop all black motorists. And they were, um, they were told that they were taught codes to use over the radio uh, when, when they were communicating with others uh, so they could disguise some of this. Uh, codes like uh, NIT, which stood for inward in Torrance, or NITAD, inward in Torrance after dark. The uh, Department of Justice, their, their investigation was ultimately inconclusive. Uh, but rumors and whatnot kind of continued over time. Uh, then in 2017, uh, the chief at that time, chief of police, was a man named Mark Matsuda, and he was suspended because he was being sued by officers for allegations of constantly making comments against blacks, women, gays, Muslims, etc. cetera. Uh, the investigation didn't go very far. He took an early retirement, and so that, that came to a close. And... Um, and he moved on. Fast forward to 2020. Uh, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, there was a uh, protest one Sunday afternoon down at City Hall. And I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to go down there and just kind of see what it's all about. And um, it, was, it was a very angry gathering, as you can expect. A uh, lot of signs against the police, a lot of a lot of uh, very strong language directed towards them. And while it was a very understandable anger, it was clear to me, at least, it was not a constructive anger. Nothing good was going to come of this. And I, I actually had my older daughter with me. Uh, she was very interested and engaged in all this. And, and we left pretty quick, just because, like I could tell, I'm not even going to be able to keep her safe. You know, this is not a good gathering at all. Um, but coming away from that, I was just so convicted. I, I realized I drive past Torrance Police Department on my way to work almost every day. And I, I have never sat down and had a conversation with the chief of police or any of the senior command staff. And maybe I need to do that. What a shame it would be if, if the first time that I met with, uh, with the chief of police was under these kinds of circumstances. And then started to think about, you know, somebody needs to do something, like in the churches. And, and as I'm thinking it all through, I started to realize, you know, shoot, that, that actually might be me, right? For the last six, seven years, I've been the president of our local ministeriums association, all the pastors in the South Bay, and, and recognizing, okay, perhaps it's me. So I, I called my friend Ken Ballard, who's one of the few black pastors in the city and a man that I, I just have a lot of trust in, and said, hey, what do you think about leading this? You know, I'll do it with you, but what do you think about we start meeting with, with the police and, uh, and see if we can develop some relationship there? And Ken was in, and so, so we started. And um, I'll, I'll pause the story there, and I'll come back to it, but I, uh, I want to put what we asked of the police in a biblical context and kind of frame it, uh, frame it in that way. Uh, when we're looking at the scriptures and we're, we're bringing this question, what is it that the police are supposed to do, right? What, what do we have the right to ask of them? And then what is our response based on that? So uh, are there even police in the Bible, we might ask? And the, the answer to that question is kind of. Um, it falls under the larger picture of government, 
under, under rulers. The police are an extension, they are the enforcement arm of what our rulers enact for us. And so we're going to start there, and I'll, I just want to read a couple here briefly on the government's responsibility. And our kids nailed it. Everything they said is in these verses. So hear this. This is Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. This is to the king. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Right? This is the task of the king. And this, this is not an outlier. This is representative of the kind of scriptures that we have describing the role of rulers, of godly rulers, throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, Psalm 72 is along the same lines. It says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Uh, so this idea that the rulers, a godly ruler, is to uphold righteousness, God's righteousness, not, not the cultural narrative of whatever is going on at that time, but God's righteousness. They're to judge fairly. They're to speak up for those who can't. They're to defend those who are most vulnerable, who are most likely to come under the thumb of those who would oppress. Now, I would add here, uh, over the years, I've pastored a lot of police officers. And these verses are a great description of what typically they are hoping to do. Uh, one of the questions that I love asking police when I end up having the privilege of pastoring them is asking for their origin story, right? How is it that you decided you wanted to get into this? And almost to a person, there's been a story of seeing something, experiencing something, watching something on TV, somewhere in there as a kid, where they saw some injustice and said, that isn't right. Somebody needs to stand in the gap for those kinds of people. And for, for most, I would say, at least in my experience, I mean, that, that is the reason that they get into the work. It's to be a protector. Now, I'll say this too. Uh, there are a few professions that I've pastored people in that take as much of a toll on your soul as being a police officer. The things that they see, uh, the interactions that they have, day after day, interacting with uh, the, I'll say, the most sinful elements of society, wears a person down. And there is a lot of support that they need to be able to continue in that and continue to do it well. Now, those are the rulers. That's kind of big picture. Where do police fit? within this. Uh, so uh, are they even in the Bible? And again, the answer is sort of. So policing, and there's an Old Testament version, but I'm just going to have you look at the New Testament version here. Policing was the role of some soldiers in the Roman Empire, and that would have included some of the soldiers that were present in Judea in the time of Jesus. So uh, there's an emperor named Octavian in the year 48 BC. And this is as the Roman Empire was expanding, and he decided they needed some sort of police force. So they took certain regiments of soldiers, they were known as the Praetorians, and then another group known as the Vigiles. And their duties were guard duty, calming public disturbance, and investigating crime. In other words, there were some subsets of soldiers that were essentially set apart to serve as what we today would call police. Uh, when we read about Roman soldiers in the New Testament and the interactions that people are having with them, primarily it would have been those types 
of soldiers, those assigned to the work of policing. So hold those in mind. We're going to look at two New Testament passages and kind of hold that description in mind. Uh, the first comes out of this, this account with John the Baptist. And John is calling people to repentance, and he is baptizing them in the Jordan River. And these different groups, in Luke's Gospel, these different groups are approaching him, and they're asking, well, what do we need to do? What does repentance look like in our case? And to those with money, he says to them, okay, if you have two shirts, keep one for yourself, give the other one to somebody who has a shirt. And then tax collectors come to him and say, well, what does repentance look like for us? And he says, well, don't take more, people, more money from people than you should. Right? That's repentance in their case. And then some of these soldiers, some of these police, if you will, come to him. This is Luke 3.14. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In other words, his word to the police is police with integrity. Do it with integrity. Note here, he doesn't tell them, stop that. You need to get out of that profession. He says, no, no, no. Do it with integrity. Be content with what you were paid. Be honest. Don't misuse your power. Right? Extortion. So extortion is often about bribery, but it's not just about bribery. Extortion covers any misuse of power using your advantage to cause somebody else to do something against their will or their better judgment. And it's interesting to me, too, that, that John mentions here false accusation. That often follows closely along with extortion. The idea of that if the police ask you to do something and if you don't do that thing, you might find yourself accused of something. That's part of the power that they wield. And John names this. And, uh, and says, this is what it looks like for you to do this well, to be righteous as you police, police with integrity. Now, in that time, was every Roman soldier slash police officer corrupt? No. We have stories in the Gospels about uh, different soldiers who are held up in exemplary ways as being righteous. But it was enough of a problem that this kind of a, a general prescription could be given to these soldiers as well. Uh, for us today, is every police officer corrupt? Is every police officer racist? Does every officer abuse power? Obviously not. Uh, the New Testament distinguishes between those who do their job with integrity and those that do not. And we'll come to this, but I suggest that is part of our job as well, to be similarly discerning in the way that we, uh, we think about and we talk about uh, the police today. Uh, I've been serving on the board of a, a chaplain group called Wixom uh, for, I don't know, a long time, maybe 20 years. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting group because we have chaplains in this group that are chaplains to the police department, and then we have other chaplains who are chaplains to the incarcerated. And we get together for board meetings, and all these folks are in the same room, and they're all able to listen to each other's stories. And I tell you, it has been incredibly helpful for me to sit in those meetings year after year after year and to hear this. And one of the things I hear over and over again for, from those who are chaplains to the police is the saying, no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Right? And that's part of why we need to pray for our police, that they can police 
with integrity because as, as we've heard, and I'll share some of the comments from Torrance PD, uh, the stain that's brought on them by cops who are bad is something that's almost impossible for them to get out from under. Uh, one more verse here, and this speaks to police and their role within the larger system. This might be familiar to you. It's Romans 13. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So, this is a passage about our responsibility to government. And our default here, and you see it in 1 Peter and also in, in uh, Timothy as well, our default is to be subject to the governing authorities. There's exceptions to this in Scripture. If we're called on to disobey God, if it's kind of a choice between obeying God and obeying uh, our human authorities, then we always choose God. Uh, but this is sort of our default. But what I want to look at this morning in this passage is it does give us a couple of important pointers to what the governing authorities are called to do as well. And I think this is informative for us as we think about what can we hold them to account for. The first one is this. Uh, we're told in this passage that the governing authorities and the police would be an extension of this, that they are appointed by God to restrain those who would do wrong. Right? That they have a function to hold back the evil that can and would uh, permeate society if it's not held in check. And this reflects a, a larger biblical worldview that you're probably familiar with, that in a world that is stained by sin, if there are not restraints on that sin, chaos ensues. And when you connect this to the passages in the Old Testament about what it is that a just ruler is to do, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? So much of the instruction given to those who are in authority, those who are in leadership in society, it can basically be summed up as keep the strong from overpowering the weak. Your job is to make sure that doesn't happen. Your job is to stop oppression. Because left unchecked, this is important, left unchecked, oppression is the norm. Those who are strongest end up dominating the weak for their own purposes. Uh, and one of the roles that the government is given, and specifically this, uh, this idea of bearing the sword, is so that they might prevent that sort of thing from happening. Right? So... Um, you know, right after George Floyd, I'm sure you all remember, but there was a very strong push towards defunding the police. Uh, it looks like that's probably run its course. It's, uh, it fizzled out rather quickly, and that's mostly because in the cities where they tried that, it was rejected by the residents of those cities. Uh, one of our folks here actually has a sister who lives in, uh, in Minnesota, 
and the Twin Cities was one of the first places they did this, and, and, uh, and she's an African-American woman. She was saying they, they didn't want this from the start, and they said as soon as the police forces were cut back in those parts of town where she lives, uh, the drug dealers and the bullies basically took over right away. And for them, it was a matter as residents of how quickly can we get this reversed. Right? Part of the job of police, part of the job of government, is to keep those who would use their power for ill from taking over and using their power for ill. So the, the role the government has is necessary and vital in a fallen world. And uh, as we saw with John the Baptist, they must do so with integrity, uh, but they've got to do it. And we're right to ask our justice system to do that and to do it with fairness and with equity. Second, you note here in this passage that, uh, that government and those who bear the sword, that would be the police, the military, that they should bring fear to those who do wrong, not to those who do right. Right, the government's role in this passage is to punish those who do wrong and to commend, Paul's word, commend those who do right. The government has a responsibility to keep order and we need this. And consequently, if you are not keeping order, if you are doing things that are, are illegal or harmful to others, Paul says, in essence, you should be right to be afraid. Right? That is why the government is charged with this. Um, but he says, if you do right, then you should be, quote, free from fear. But here's the question, friends. What if you're doing right and there still is fear? Right? Or, you know, he, Paul says in this passage that rulers hold no terror for those who do right. What if you do right and there is terror? Uh, if fear of the police is common enough, and I know it's, it's not every person, it's not every person of color, it's not even every person of color in our church. People have different experiences. But if fear of the police is common enough, that a significant number of black or brown people fear for their lives when they get pulled over, and something's broken in our policing. If fear of terror is not just gripping those who do wrong, but also those who are innocent, that's a sign to us that there are corrections that need to be made. Uh, this was one of those stories that was told through laughter, and it's a light one, but it, it's significant, it sticks with me. Um, you know, our, our friends, the Herreras, who are leaders in our church here, uh, one evening they drove over to our house and they're dropping off a bicycle for one of our girls. And um, it was, was uh, uh, Dave and Debbie and also their, their teenage son, Dom. You know, they, they drive over, they, they drop off the bike and we're laughing and joking and talking about stuff in the driveway and, and I realized you know, they're, they're in two cars. Why is this? They have a truck. You know, why did they bring both cars over? And, and, uh, and I asked. I was like, hey, why did you stuff the bicycle under the back of the car? And you drove two separate cars to come over here from home. What is that? And, and Debbie kind of laughed, and, and she said, well, we could have brought the truck, but three Mexicans in the cab of a truck after sundown? I don't think so. We don't feel like getting pulled over. And... You know, it, it was said in a lighthearted way, but still the reality is 
they chose not to drive the truck. There's something there. I think about um, you know, uh, my friend Dwight, who's pastor in Gardena, and you guys, uh, some of you have met Dwight. He's spoken here before. Um, I think of Dwight. They, Dwight grew up in kind of a rougher part of town, and part of, part of the instruction he got from his mom growing up was, was, hey, you don't go into Torrance, you don't go into Inglewood. You know, those, those are areas of town that aren't safe for you. Uh, and that was part of the narrative for him growing up. Uh, as, as a grown-up now, I mean, here he is, this pastor with a PhD and, you know, this very respected member of society. Is, he and his family, they were able to move to a nicer part of town a few years ago. Um, and he found on some levels that was nice. They weren't as afraid in the neighborhood that they were in. But if he ever had to go out after dark to gas up the car, terrified his wife because this was a part of town where sometimes black men got pulled over seemingly without cause. If there's terror for those who are doing no wrong, something's wrong in our policing, and that's something that we have to give attention to. Issa McCauley is one of my favorite New Testament scholars. He writes this. He says, black hope for policing is not that complicated. Paul articulates that hope quite plainly in Romans 13.4. We want to live free of fear. Now, Torrance PD, they know this, and they're troubled by this. Uh, back, to, back to the story and, and uh, why I'm actually quite hopeful, even as there is so much difficulty in Torrance PD right now. Um, the first meeting that Ken and I had with the police, we met with chief of police, met with, uh, with her command staff as well. Um, and one of the most encouraging things to us was everything that we brought up, which is a lot of what I'm sharing today and a lot of things I'm not, because um, there may be a little too much for the setting. But everything we brought up, they owned. There wasn't a single thing they challenged. There wasn't a single thing where they said, nope, that didn't happen. There wasn't nothing like that. Uh, th there was a little wariness of us because they didn't know us and didn't know exactly you know, what our agenda was going to be. But as far as incidents we brought up, everything, they're like, no, that happened. That's true. Most of the senior staff actually at this point is black or Latino, which we were encouraged by as well. And they were really honest about what it's been like for them being police officers in Torrance who are people of color. Uh, our first conversations with them, as you can probably imagine, this being uh, shortly after George Floyd, were around use of force and around racial profiling. And, uh, and in terms of, of uh, both at the state and the federal level, there's different standards for uh, use of force, different trainings, racial bias training, et cetera, et cetera. There's different standards in Torrance. We were, we're happy to hear has met or has exceeded actually most of those. And they were super proud of it. I mean, they were, they were excited to be able to, to show us those things. But that said, um, as, as much as Ken and myself, we came out of that meeting very encouraged. Uh, the big question that was there for us and that we voiced in that meeting too was, well, what happens when the rubber meets the road? Right, all this stuff is great, but if there is a violation of these standards, then what happens then? Talk, 
Talk is cheap, right? What you do with it is what counts. So here's what happened with this latest scandal that I told you about of uh, these police in the last year. So we have a new chief, by the way. Um, so the chief that we first met, Chief Berg, she's since retired. There's a new chief. His name is Jeremiah Hart. He, uh, he's a 20 years on the force in Torrance. So he kind of came up through the ranks here, uh, which I think in some ways is good because he, he knows a lot about the inside of the department. But uh, we, we met with him actually for the first time not long after these recent scandals became public. Uh, and this was Torrance PD's response. Uh, so the two police who vandalized the car, so they were fired, and then the chief uh, called the LA district attorney personally and asked him if he would prosecute. And the district attorney said yes. The chief was blunt about this. So those officers committed a crime. They abused their power, and they need to fall under the same justice as everybody else in the community. And so he, he instigated that process himself. Uh, the 15 officers that were part of that uh, racist text thread, uh, so they were suspended, and they remain suspended while it's investigated. Uh, but, but here's the thing that I found very encouraging. So the chief of police uh, said, we're not going to do the investigation ourselves. Uh, he called the state attorney general and asked if if state police would go ahead and run the investigation into these officers and into the text messages. Uh, the reason this is significant is that sometimes there's an external review of what happens in police departments, but almost always the first and often the only investigation is the police investigating themselves. So if you find yourself not guilty, that only carries so much water for those looking in from the outside, right? So Chief Hart, phoned Sacramento and said, we would like you to conduct the investigation. And, and they obliged. It was, the story was kind of funny in a way because he said it took several conversations because they didn't understand what was being asked, right? State Attorney General has investigated a lot of police departments, but this is the only time that the police have asked to be investigated by, uh, by the state. And uh, so they're, they're doing that. And, uh, and I, you know, in asking Chief Hart about this, you know, his response, again, was kind of blunt. He said, if, you know, if, if there are civil rights violations inside of this, they'll be prosecuted. And we want to see that happen. He said, if, if we are going to shed our reputation that we've developed over the years, then this is the kind of thing that is necessary for us to do that. If there are civil rights violations, there have to be prosecutions. Uh, very likely, I mean, it's under investigation right now, very likely that, at the very least, even if there are no civil rights violations, the officers will be fired. They can't do their job anymore. They can never testify in court again and be, be considered to be reliable after this. In fact, uh, the LA district attorney has had to throw out 50 cases that these police were involved in because their testimony is now worthless as a result of this. So, um, and then there, there may or may not be criminal charges too. Um, this is my favorite thing though, that, uh, that I, I found hopeful and getting to know our new chief, was uh, I asked him in one of these meetings, I said, okay, so, so these 15 have been suspended and they're being investigated. These other two are being prosecuted. Uh, do you think you're done? Do you think you got all the bad apples out of Torrance PD and you didn't miss a beat? He said, no, I haven't. He said, I estimate it's gonna take me four to five more years to finish that job. 
said this is a matter of changing a culture, and culture change takes time. And I, I appreciate that so much. Um, I, I don't have a ton of interaction with city officials, but when I do, uh, my experience in that is usually one of feeling like I'm being politicked, right? Of uh, somebody's got their next election on their mind and they're, they're hoping to make a good impression and whatnot. I so do not get that with our current chief. Uh, that does not seem to be his agenda at all. And our, our word as a group to the chief has been, if you are as good as your word, then we as churches will do anything that we can to support you in that because that's what you're pointing towards is the kind of police department that we hope for for our city. And that's sort of, that's sort of a, maybe a good summation of our approach. And this is maybe where you come in as well. Uh, it's an approach of support and accountability. Right? It's a both and. It can't be an either or. We need to offer to our local police both support and accountability. And this is why. Uh, if Let's say if, if you are one who you lean more towards the side of having a high distrust for police, you're excited to see them held accountable. You also, I would suggest, you also want to see your police supported. Because if you have unhealthy officers on the street doing their job, it, that is not going to be as good as if you have, have cops who are doing well. If they are on the edge, that serves nobody well. We don't want police who are angry. We don't want police who are undertrained. We don't want police whose home lives are falling apart. If you want good, just policing, supporting the police is part of how you get there. And the other side of this too, maybe you, you lean more towards the, the side of, hey, it's, it's all about supporting our police. We want to do this. I would say to you, you want good accountability for the police too. Uh, part of supporting the police, and not just an individual, but the department as a whole, is supporting those who would really champion and work towards fair, equitable, equal application of justice across the board. Accountability is part of support, and support is part of accountability. This is not something where we want to choose one or the other. We want to offer both. Uh, to that end, here's three things that I would ask you to be, be doing as, as part of a, a congregation in the city, as part of this congregation. Three things for you. First is this, it's to be a person who listens well. Listen intently, listen with curiosity. Be somebody who is genuinely open to hearing the stories that are being told. And by that, I mean all the stories. Right? Listen to both sides. Listen to those who have experienced or have people close to them who have experienced mistreatment by the police. Hear those stories, take them in, take them seriously. Uh, on the other side too, if, if you are one who uh, maybe your story has caused you to be more distrustful of the police, I would encourage you to be one who listens well to the stories of the police. Uh, being on the board of this chaplain organization, one of the ways that it's, it's really helped me in hearing these stories is there are a lot of things that I thought I knew about what that life is like that I didn't, that I had wrong. And there are a lot of things that I just wouldn't have known that I didn't know. Listen well to the stories of police as well. What is it like 
to go out and do this job each day? And what does that demand of you? We need to hear these things if we're going to, um, if we're going to be able to be both those who give support and who give accountability also. Uh, one opportunity for that, for that latter piece, um, something that, that the police offered recently and we said yes to is doing sort of a coffee with a cop sort of event for churches. So uh, Ken's church will probably be the one to host it, but we'll, we'll invite other churches in Torrance as well. And it's a good opportunity to sit down with, uh, likely with the chief, but with others who are part of the senior staff there and listen and ask your questions and let them answer. I encourage you to jump in on that as it comes up. But that's one. It's just to be somebody who listens really well. Second is this. It's don't prejudge. Uh, this is one that, uh, that Pastor Ken is, is very big on, and I so appreciate him hammering this home. He, he says, listen, we don't want police who judge all members of a group by what some have done. And he says in turn to the police, we are not going to judge everyone in Torrance PD by what some have done also. Don't prejudge. We don't want police who stereotype, and we're not going to stereotype the police either. That is one of our commitments to them from the beginning has been, in this relationship, you are not going to be demonized. Right? We're going to listen, and we're going to be present, and we're going to do our best to be fair. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we've asked of the, the pastors who are now a part of this group is we've said to them, listen, if, if you want to do this, then we need you to take an honest assessment of yourself and you need to be strong enough that you can sit in the presence of Torrance police officers and say what you did was wrong. And you also have to be strong enough that you can stand in front of an angry congregation on a Sunday and say to them, you need to hold on. There's more facts that are coming out. If you can't do both of those, then we've said this isn't the group for you. And I would ask something similar of you. I would ask something similar of you as a church, that you don't prejudge. Don't have your mind made up already as to how things are. Every situation is different, and we need to be aware of that. Friends, part of this is recognizing, and this takes a little bit of work, but recognize your prejudices. Recognize what is my bias. When something happens, when I read in the newspaper, when I see it, what's the narrative that goes on in my head? What is your bias? Is it, oh, that person probably had it coming because the police wouldn't have interacted with them if they didn't? Or on the other side, is your narrative, oh, there go the police again. Police always do things like this. Don't, don't prejudge. We owe better to our fellow image bearers, whether they are the police or they are those who are being arrested by the police. Third and final, it's pray. Back to where Cameron brought us at the beginning. It's to pray. Pray for those in authority. Pray in particular for our police. Pray for good policing. We need more of that. Pray that those police who are not good officers will be found out and they will be ferreted out from the force. Pray for those who are good, that they'll be protected, that they'll be strengthened, uh, that our police here uh, will increasingly 
uh, be a force for justice and justice that's equal in our city. They need our prayers. They want our prayers. And God asks us to give them our prayers. That's a good place for us to pray. Uh, Join me, would you?